Ordained by my peers, putting suckers in sears, tank top in tears. Taylor retired, so be chapel clerk in this year. You know what I love about that show is not just the football, but I think it really is a decent window into what it's like to be a pastor. Because in many ways, that shows about how he is. You know, he has a real pastoral relationship to the community and to the people. I heart PCA. I heart PCA. By far the PCA is the best PCA. Welcome to I Heart PCA. This is the podcast we're talking about what's really awesome and non-terrible in the Presbyterian Church in America, the denomination that some of us have found ourselves in. We do let other people listen in from other necks of the wood denominations, but we do sometimes have some insider baseball. Justin, good to see your face on this lovely day, fall, autumn day. Yeah, good to see you, Doug. Glad to glad to be on together again. Do you have yeah, do you have any favorite autumnal things to eat? Autumnal. I don't know if I've heard that phrase before. Autumnal. Yeah. Is that just the word of an editor, like a uh, you know word savvy, word smithy editor? Uh, I well, I mean, I love a pumpkin spice latte. Does that count? Oh, you're making a face, Doug. That's disappointing to me. Yeah, I think anything with pumpkin is bad, personally. That's like the taste of fall, Doug. I know that's that's a problem for me in the old fall times. Mm. I I think we maybe talked about this before. The best pumpkin pie and the worst pumpkin pie ain't ain't, ain't big different. No, they're, not, they're not a lot of separation between those two. They all they all taste really good. That's how I feel. Delicious. I don't think. What I, about you? You have a favorite autumnal delight? No, I don't think so. Rhubarb pie. That's good anytime. It makes me think of football, which makes me think of brats and dogs. And mm-hmm. so football. Football. How about your My Cowboys? Team. Yeah, I was waiting for that, Doug. My team is, uh, yeah, looking looking really good right about now. Mm-hmm. Uh, flying high. I'm pretty excited about it. It feels like, uh, you know, 2016, 2014, the last two really good Cowboy teams. So hopefully they do better than those two teams even. Yeah, yeah it's great. It's a great time yeah. to be a Cowboy fan right now. Great, yeah, great young players. Well. I've enjoyed watching yeah. a little football, though. I got to tell you, you know, I'm, a, I'm calling in from Ithaca. This is a wonderful place. I'm about to say something. Maybe I can be corrected. It is not good for sports. Nah. There are no sports bars. If you want to watch football, listen to this, Justin. On Saturday, I wanted to watch the OU game. And I had to resort, and this is like bottom of the barrel. I was sitting in a Chili's watching football because that was all I had. I even had to sign up for their app so I could get on the internet and everything. So I'm now a Chili's subscriber. Uh, I'm getting, you know. Free dessert offers. Points or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I felt lousy for Ithaca. Yeah. So I'm thinking about starting a sports bar. I even got told that Buffalo Wild Wings went out of business here. Wow. Village town. 
how is that possible? Is it just because it's Ivy League and everybody's too highbrow for that, or what is it? They're very too nerdy for good football. Did you ask Daniel Wells? Daniel Wells is a bit of a sports yeah, fan. Yeah, well, uh, Cortland is about 20 minutes away, and it has way better stuff than Ithaca does for oh, this. Oh, wow. Purpose. So, yeah, I, I've hung out with – okay, but this is neither here nor there. We need to get to our guest. We do. We have a special guest with us today. His name is Tommy, Tom Gibbs. Good to see you, Tom. Thanks for calling in. Say Great hi to everyone. Hello. Great to see you guys. And where are you calling in from? So I'm in St. Louis, home of Covenant Seminary. Pretty amazing. And what is your uh, football, pro football team of choice? So um, there was once a time when my pro football team was uh, noteworthy. I'm I'm a Miami Dolphins football fan. Oh, wow. Since I was a little child growing up in Florida. Wow. Back in the days of... I guess it was uh, Bob Greasy and then Dan Marino and Don yeah. Frock, all those guys. Larry Zonka. Mercury Larry Zonka. Mm-hmm. The Killer Bees. Yeah. They were my team. And it's been a little bit of a rough patch. It's been a rough generation. I think that's how we call it now. Who's your favorite <laughs> player right now on the Doll Dolphins? Well, I want to see Tua perform. You know, I, I had a little bright hope that maybe he could turn them around but it has not been shining brightly. And now they're talking about Deshaun Watson coming. So I don't know how I feel about that. That seems That's, to be a scary bet. That sounds like it's going to happen, Tom. I, I haven't seen the news today, but it sounded like yesterday it was going to happen. Yeah. So I don't That's know crazy. what I think about That seems, seems a little scary. Well, it seem a little desperate. Better times yeah. ahead. Okay, desperate. Tom. One of our first questions is, how did you get into the PCA? This is your genesis story for your superhero power now that you're in the League of Doom, you know? How, how do you tell, give us your run-up, uh, not all the way to where you are now, but, you know, sure, pretty close. Okay, so, um, you know, I have the strange uh, DNA of being a lifelong Presbyterian in the PCA. Wow. Not many of us pastors in the PCA have been lifelong Presbyterians, but I grew up in the what we now call the mainline Presbyterian church in America, the PCUSA, and was part of that church um, all through growing up. I made my profession of faith at an evangelical uh, mainline congregation, actually in Edmond, Oklahoma, Doug Servant. I know. We went, remember when we went and visited? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, first Presbyterian. So that's really the first church in my memory and had a great experience there growing up. And then my family moved uh, back to Florida, which was the, the state of my birth. And we were in a small town uh, uh, Presbyterian church, really a beautiful congregation uh, in terms of its community, but it was not a gospel preaching congregation. And um, it wasn't until I got to college that I found out about the PCA. And so my entry into the world of the PCA was through the College Ministry Reformed University Fellowship. Mm-hmm. However, at Auburn, RUF wasn't called RUF. It was called CUF. This is a little known trivia mm-hmm. uh, in PCA lore. 
But Auburn RUF at the beginning was called Covenant University Fellowship. And, hmm. um, and the, the campus minister graciously welcomed me into that group. And, and uh, there's where I really heard gospel preaching and uh, began to experience gospel community. And um, that was sort of what birthed me into the PCA. That's incredible. Yeah, and got involved with a PCA church in college, and um, and then I sort of was on two tracks. I, I was an engineering student um, studying engineering and co-oping in Mobile, Alabama. Um, and there, while in Mobile, I, I started attending a church plant. That was my first introduction into a PCA church plant. And that congregation was pastored by Josiah Bancroft. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a leader with Surge Ministries. And um, Josiah really was a, a beautiful servant of the Lord in my life, uh, his preaching. And, um, and then on graduation, I went to work at a small PCA church in Birmingham, Faith Presbyterian Church, uh, which was then pastored by um, beautiful minister Alan Carter, and uh, who I remain friends with today. How did you end up? Well, so then when did you feel the call to ministry to go to Covenant? And then what happened after that? So I felt the call to ministry in college. Um, so while I was in college, the, the campus ministry uh, leadership changed. Uh, it uh, Fascinating. Another little tidbit here. The chairman of the board for Covenant Seminaries, Miles Gresham, it was his brother, who was the campus minister, uh, Bill Gresham, that I started with at Auburn. But Bill left uh, the ministry and then... Um, Paul Hahn became the campus minister my final two years at Auburn. And uh, so that's where I first started working through a call to ministry, tested that out in Birmingham. And while uh, working in Birmingham at Faith is, is when I decided to go to Covenant Seminary. And you met Tara sometime in there? Yep. Tara was... Uh, she was a student at Ole Miss and was involved in the RUF ministry there. She actually came to Christ through that ministry. And uh, her undergraduate degree is in journalism, but rather than pursue journalism, she wanted to do the RUF internship. And um, I'd stayed around an extra year because I co-opted at Auburn. And so my final year at Auburn was her first year of internship uh, uh, with RUF. Uh, RUF Center to Auburn, we met. And, and then a couple of years later, we started dating. And four months before we came to seminary, we got married. Hmm. So that's the story. Much condensed. So when you, when you finished at Covenant, what was your first call um, into ministry post-Covenant? So the post, we thought we were going to end up at RUF Mizzou. Hmm which was funny. Uh, Billy Dempsey was pastoring then and, and he, he had approached me about coming after him. He said, that sounds great. And then he changed his mind. And then right about that point, I was asked if we were interested to go start RUF in Waco, Texas at Baylor university. Mm. And so that's where we ended up and started that ministry, the world's largest Baptist affiliated college right and um yeah we're there for five years what year was that tom so that was 1997 to 2002 okay yeah 
And and when you started at Waco in 1997, what number campus in RUF was that number? Oh, wow. Like 30s, probably. I think it might have even been in the 20s. 20, but it was wow. it was around 30. It was still pretty young. That's we were the we were the fourth ministry in Texas. So we had AM, SMU, Texas, and then Baylor was the fourth. Mm. So what's it like being RUF campus at Baylor? Baylor seems like a weirdly normal place. I don't know, normally weird place. Yeah, in many ways, Baylor is like any sort of state school in the South in some ways. Um, it It is, um, except back in the 90s, they did not play football very well. They did not. <laughs> But, um, they had really bad astroturf too back then. Yeah, it was it was it was tough on athletics as a as a guy who grew up in the SEC. But um, you know, in many ways, it was just a it was a wonderful campus. It wasn't huge, so you could really get to know the students. And it's about I think twelve thousand students at the time, twelve to fifteen thousand. Um, but it was very much a Baptist school, and uh, it was it was. Um, one of the things that was interesting to me is I, I wasn't fully aware of the difference between Texas Baptists and the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm. Baylor was very, you know, it came out of the battles in the SBC and very much saw itself distinct from the SBC. And, and, um, and so it, it gave it a little bit different flavor of a Baptist institution. And it took me a while to, to understand some of that, uh, distinctiveness. Um, Baylor was not super welcoming to RUF at the beginning, um, which was fascinating because I, I think at the time we were the only RUF ministry in the country that couldn't meet on the campus. And wow. this was a Christian university. Mm -hmm. And, um, but th there was some anxiety about us being non-Baptist and it took a, about a decade, I think, before RUF ever gained that status. Now they do meet on campus and Baylor's very, you know, doors are open. But at the beginning, it wasn't that way. And so a lot of work was done to um, build relationships with the institution, earn credibility, you know, a lot of that. Yeah. So then what happened after RUF at Baylor? So we served there for five years. Um, and in Texas, uh, there was a, a big push for church planting in the state of Texas. And that was um, under the auspices of a, a group called the Southwest Church Planting Network. And they... Before you go on, can yeah. we pause and can you talk about... We, I don't think we've really talked about the network. Have we, Justin? So uh, let's we, just, we might have mentioned it, but can not... Can you explain? Uh, because you've even served as the director of this yeah uh, the chairman uh -huh. chairman yeah just t tell everybody what the network is and what it's been doing so shortly after i came to texas um the under the leadership of park city's presbyterian church and i think jim bland at bay area uh paul Hahn and austin a few other churches uh there was a desire to pool resources and philosophy to, to start a church planting movement across the Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And um, that group formed in 1988, 1998. And it was a, 
it was really a beautiful group. It was um, in partnership with the presbyteries. And so it launched, I mean, almost all of the church plants across the states of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and now Oklahoma. I mean, Doug, your church, Justin, I think your church too. Um, And then my church in San Antonio were all um, sponsored by uh, this church planning network. In fact, I think Redeemer might've been the first or second official church plant of the Southwest church planning network. Um, yeah, I, you know, could have been the third, I don't know. It was, it was early and, um, and, uh, it was a real, it was a, a beautiful movement. And then as, as we planted and then I, I became involved in the leadership of that organization and, uh, uh, you know, I had the privilege of serving with Brad Bradley and then Bill Thomas and a number of, a number of other folks. So, yeah, that was the, that was the agency that planted us. And, um, we went to San Antonio and it was, what was great about it is it provided funding and it provided leadership. Um, both of which I needed because we didn't have a core group when I went to San Antonio. So it was like pure parachute plant, Tom? It was a, yeah. And I don't know if your listeners know that term, but it was a, it was a parachute or a scratch plant. Sometimes we call it. So there's no core group. There was no mother church. Um, and, and so we literally kind of went to San Antonio blind. I began to network with parents of students and students who had gone back to San Antonio from Baylor. Um, had a few who were going to medical school in San Antonio. And so it was out of those relationships that we networked to other people and, um, and then formed a core group. So, so we, we started a Bible study in the summer of 2002 in my home, I think we had about six families coming to that, you know, so, I mean, some of those were singles. It was just a few people. And, um, that was the beginning of Redeemer. And you pastored for 19 years there, Tom? Yeah, I served for 19 years. Amazing. What happened up and down in that time? Yeah. (laughs) That is a long story, Doug. <laughs> a lot happened. Um, what would be like maybe some of the, your as you think back, like highlights of your time? As... You know, I think the beginning time was a huge highlight. I, I always say for the first three years of my time in San Antonio, it was, it was the most exhilarating ministry experience I'd ever had. Mm-hmm. It, just seems like, it seemed like everything we did worked. God blessed. Um, God multiplied. Uh, just relationships just kept multiplying and people kind of flocked to the church. It grew rapidly. We saw a lot of people get converted. Um, We saw marriages get kind of revitalized. Um, It just was this, it was this sort of beautiful moment um, that I, I I really can't explain other than that God was blessing. Um, I don't think we were doing anything extraordinary by any stretch. I, I think I was just showing up and, and um, you know, sharing with people about the gospel and, and God was uh, working. And, um, and that, that was a season we, we just saw a lot of growth um, in, in, the, in the work. So, so that first eight months, we were then launching into worship uh, by February of the next year and then 
we particularized um, about 15 months later, which was a very rapid particularization. So um, we had elders uh, by the by the summer of 2004, and um, and so that 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 season was really exciting. Um, and then as as things go, church plants that uh, do grow rapidly often encounter headwinds and difficulties, and and that was uh, we were no different. So starting in about 2005, the fall that fall we began to experience some of our first challenges associated with criticisms about the philosophy of ministry, vision. Um, those really were the first things we, we began to experience. Um, I'll stop there and see if you have any follow-up questions there. Tell us about the building you bought and how, how that happened, where it's located. And then I also want to hear some of your initiatives with, non-Anglo people, Hispanic, Latino, you know, and how that's been going. Yeah. So, um, well, in 2005, we were, you know, we were in a, in a rented space. I think we were in a community college at that point. And we were in a, in that community college for another five or six years. And then we transitioned to a high school and um, we're there for about four years. But as the church grew, we knew that, um, it was harder and harder for us to find public spaces to house our church. Um, and so we, we became convinced that we needed to acquire a space. And we, we talked about that as permanence, um, you know, like a home. It wasn't so much about a building as the opportunity for us to um, do ministry in the city. And so we, we had a team. We started looking and um, we started saving. Um, and I guess about two or three years into that process, we noticed that the downtown YMCA was closing its doors, transferring to another facility. And they put it on the market uh, at a price that was we couldn't touch. And we just kind of watched it. And then mm-hmm. after a couple of years, the price started falling into a range that we thought we could make a run at it. And um, the downtown Y is about 50,000 square feet. It's a, it's a bunker. It looks like a, um, uh, almost, well, if, you, if you're familiar with architecture, it's a brutalist modern structure. And there's a lot of brutalist modern um, buildings in Mexico. And it has that look about it. Um, and, uh, a huge bait, but it's a big box essentially. Um, but it's poured concrete walls, and uh, and and so there's not it's not much to look at, but it's got gray bones, and it had a great uh, gymnasium that we converted into our sanctuary. It had a pool inside that we converted into our fellowship hall. And it just it just became a beautiful facility. So we acquired that in 2012, and it took us about 18 months to renovate, and moved in in May of 2014. And um, over the next two years, the church basically doubled in size too. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a it's such a spectacular space. You guys have done such a great job. If you're ever in San Antonio, even though Tom's not there any longer. 
you should visit Redeemer and uh, check out the space. Uh, it's located pretty pretty close to the, the Riverwalk, not too, too far away. Yeah, it's, so, a half, it's a half a block from the river. Yeah, so uh, favorite restaurants, restaurant on the Riverwalk for you? Oh, wow. Well, not favorite. Ironically, it's not a, on the Riverwalk. It's not a Tex-Mex restaurant. It's a place called Boudreaux's. Um, that's, uh, that's sort of a Southwest, uh, Cajun fusion restaurant. Okay. Spectacular. But yeah, I've got several favorite Mexican restaurants in San Antonio. You know, the most bougie place I think I've ever been was in San Antonio to that rooftop bar that we took us to the Paramore. (laughs) Yeah, we might not put that. (laughs) That is a bougie place, man. I love that place. That was a cool spot. Yeah. Uh, there's a That's lot far of, from the church too. No, it's right. It's right up the river. Um, yeah. The Paramore. That's a, a very bougie place. And, it is. Uh, lots of cool space spaces like that now. And said, and that's not the way it was when we came that whole part of the river walk that you're talking about was developed in like the last decade. Hmm. Um, Cause that's sort of the beginning of the Pearl development. It's yeah. Man. That all used to be just completely undeveloped. It's really beautiful. You, you know, my favorite restaurant is, is in San Antonio is the cure. Oh, cure. Yeah. Cure in, uh-huh. in, in the Pearl and the story behind it, you know, the guy getting cured from cancer and you walk in and it has this meat locker with all the cured meats and mm-hmm. they serve this root beer old fashioned that's to die for. Um, and so anytime I went there, you know, for network meetings or whatever else, I would eat there at least twice. I love that place. A great story about that restaurant. So one of my members is, uh, is an art, I had several architects in our church and uh, he was the guy who designed the uh, interior. That was an old building oh. at the Pearl Brewery, but he did the interior design for that. That's and, and actually cool. several spaces in the Pearl he, he did, but that's one of the ones he did. Mm-hmm. Are we going to break here, Doug? We need to go to break. Oh, As we're, right. break okay. we're, we're about to go to break, but I want to hear, Tom, who your favorite San Antonio Spur is. Right now? Yeah. Oh, that's Tom? first. Yeah, that's easy. Manu Ginobili. Manu. Manu. The little fast. Yeah, yep. and I'm so happy he's back with the team. You know, he's serving as an advisor, oh. and it has been speculated that he could he could succeed Pop. Oh wow! So I'm I'm on the Manu train again. Oh. Better than the Admiral? Come on! Yeah, actually, better than the Admiral. I don't know. There's something about Manu. You just got to root for the guy. He's no, feeling his body everywhere. Nah. It's beautiful. Well. You're entitled to your opinion. I don't have anything against him. I like those Argentinian guys, right? (laughs) Um, All right, so we're at the break. We're going to keep talking with Tom, hit you back here in just a few minutes after you listen to this amazing advertisement. See you. podcast is brought to you by storied publishing we publish books with redemptive themes check out our growing list of titles at storied.pub let us help you take your book from idea to a finished product that you can hold in your hands contact us today 
at story.pub. Welcome back to uh, iHeartPCA. We're back from that break, and don't forget those amazing ads. Uh, get a book, get whatever. It's great. Let's do it. Uh, we're here with uh, Tom Gibbs, and Tom, I want to ask you: Has anybody ever uh, said you remind them of Kyle Chandler? Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler is. You're gonna have to help me on that one. So he's the coach from Friday Night Lights. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All the time, actually. Yeah, man, I bet so. Yeah, I forget so, his name, but you know, yeah, yep, I get it a lot. Coach, Coach Taylor. Uh, yep. Tom Gibbs and coach Taylor have a kind of a resemblance, but voice it's your voice that I think is the most, uh, oh. you guys have a similar voice. So I'm glad I'm not the only one that sees that. Yeah. It's funny. My, my, uh, my wife says that and yeah. we've started watching. So my wife and I watched Friday night lights back, you know, forever ago, but we've started it back again with our youngest who's still at home with us. And we're, we're watching that with her. Oh man! Kind of get back into the. We love that show. Being in St. Louis, we miss Texas, and it's it's a little bit of therapy for us every. Yeah, me and Luke Evans, you know, think that that's probably the best television show in the history of television. So we love. You know what I love about that show is not just the football, but I think it really is a decent window into what it's like to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. Because in many ways that shows about how he is, you know, he has a real pastoral relationship to the community and to the people. He does. What about uh, Ted Lasso? I'm a big watching fan. Ted La- yeah. yeah Ted Lasso. Also similar, similar ethos. Yeah. Yeah. Being a pastor, showing grace. That's yeah. right. Uh, Tom, we uh, didn't get to this. So I wanted, didn't want to skip over your ministry really in San Antonio with the church there with, uh, non-white folks tell me a little bit about that and how that happened and how that went yeah so so you know in san antonio it's 64 percent latino and it's not a white city and it's a it's a latin city and that was one of the things that drew us to san antonio we wanted to be part of that cultural mix and um, we didn't just want to be part of it. We wanted to create a church that reflected it. And that was the very beginning of our conversation there. Um, we also knew that wasn't going to be easy. Um, but from the very beginning of our time in San Antonio, I started building relationships with um, organizations uh, that were in historically non-white areas of the city, you know, the West side, the South side. And, um, we actually ended up doing vacation Bible school, um, in the uh, West side of the city in a community center, we would take our whole church down to the West side of San Antonio and, and, um, and do a, a vacation Bible school with that community. And, and those relationships that came out of those efforts are still present today, um, and have multiplied into literally um, uh, dozens of community centers across the city and, and also a, a young life ministry that one of our minister, uh, one of our young women spearheaded. Um, she 
literally spearheaded bringing Young Life to the south side of San Antonio and our church partners partnered with her. We now have Young Life in about, I think, four high schools now on the south side of San Antonio. And, and through that relationship, we were bringing then Latino, Hispanics into the church and uh, became part of our church community. And another big piece of this was um, uh, one of my associate pastors, Victor Martinez, who um, has served on the church staff since 2008. So I guess, what is that, 13 years? We, we partnered for 12 uh, while, while I was there in San Antonio, or I guess 13. And um, funny story about Victor, uh, in the early days, I, would, I often drove the city and prayed over the city. And um, there's a, co- a Baptist college in, in San Antonio called, um, what do we call it, the San Antonio, I can't remember the name of it anymore, but I drove by there many times praying uh, that if God had any, any um, opportunity for us related to that school, if there was anything we could learn um, from what God was doing in that school, that he would teach us. And a few, um, a few weeks later, Victor showed up at our church and he was a theology professor there. Mm. And he grew up mainline Presbyterian in Puerto Rico and had just recently discovered the PCA and was entertaining transitioning back to being a Presbyterian, but, but not, but not the main line, but instead the PCA. And, and um, he and his wife, in fact, did come and join Redeemer. And then within about a year, I had him on staff as an assistant pastor and he helped launch us um, into um, just a greater touch with the city and, um, and it began the diversification of our leadership team. And, um, and Victor was really a, a key component in the story of, of Redeemer becoming uh, or coming to look more and more like the city. And that, that really has just continued over the course of our entire season. But, but um, I think the key to, to, to um, what happened in San Antonio was just the intentionality we gave to relationships. It wasn't so much about a strategy. It was a commitment, but it wasn't a strategy. It was really about um, building relationships and sticking with it. It's a very slow process um, and you have to share. Um, I think that was another thing that was really beautiful at at Redeemer, there's always been a willingness to to share and open doors and, and create pathways for people to participate. And that became a real part of, of, of what happened as in terms of Redeemer diversifying. So, Tom, I think is you know, kind of an offshoot of that is that one of the ways that you've impacted me and several others is through uh, family systems theory. And so how did you kind of make that move to both knowing about it, understanding it, and then utilizing it, you know, within the context of your church and your demon project and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's another huge um, piece of the, of the Redeemer story. So uh, we, we went through a season of a, of a sort of, I call it a conflictual season. It started in 2005 
and it actually went until about 2013. And um, during that season, I really came to realize that I didn't have a lot of resources for leadership. And, um, and I just think seminaries are, are usually not in a place to give those resources and students, because we're typically young, are not in a place to hear those resources. So, um, and when you're in the midst of it, when you need it, you don't have it. And so about 2008, 2009, um, we were in a real difficult place. Um, but I reached out at the time to the director of the doctoral program at Covenant Seminary, Bob Burns. And Bob remains a friend. To, to, um, and he uh, was very helpful. And he uh, was the one who introduced me to Bowen Family Systems and Systems Theory, um, adapt the practice of adaptive leadership. So he 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 uh, sent me uh, you know an important book, The Leader's Journey, um, which was my introduction to systems theory. Shortly thereafter, I read Edwin Friedman, uh, Failure of Nerve. He also put me on to a book, The Leader Leadership on the Line by uh, Ron Heifetz and Marty Linsky, where uh, the guys up at Harvard who speak about adaptive leadership. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so much of what pastors face in ministry are adaptive challenges that we typically um, naively frame as technical ones. And then we don't understand why we end up having the same problems over and over. Um, but uh, that was the beginning of that process. It, it led me into not only sustain, more sustainable practices uh, as a pastor ministry leader in San Antonio, but it also led me to do a doctor of ministry at Covenant Seminary, which I finished in 2015. That gets us to an important chapter in your story, a chapter that started not too long ago. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of Covenant Seminary, Tom Gibbs. Tom, tell us how you got to be president of Covenant Seminary. So, yeah, this is the part of the story that's still being written. Uh, Doug, thanks for that. And, um, yeah, I had a number of friends. So when Mark announced his coming retirement, um, I immediately had a number of friends tell me that they were going to put my name in the hat and recommend me to, to serve in that capacity. Um, I, uh, you know, graciously said, you know, thank you for, for that. And I did not think much would come from it. But um, when the search firm approached me, I guess it was the early summer of, of 20, I entered into the search process more out of um, a sense of obligation to my friends and mentors who had who had encouraged me to to consider this, because uh, the truth of the matter is, I had not I had not considered another call to any other kind of ministry throughout my time in San Antonio. Just had never entered into a process in 19 years, and we just didn't think God was calling us to, to anything else. Um, but we entered into this process and. Um, as we and we were just kind of surprised that God kept moving us forward, and um, we finally got to December, the interview, and 
And, and I guess it was last December that we were offered the job um, and are excited about serving. But that's a, that's a quick condensation of the, of the story. And I think this question is obvious, but who's your favorite Covenant Seminary board member? Well, I think it would be you today, Doug, for sure. Yes. Um, and so tell us about how the moving, like what are the mechanics of it all? How does it work? Well, you know, Covenant Seminary is uh, unique in the PCA in that we're the denominational seminary of the PCA. And so we, like other seminaries, and have a board, but our board is under the advisement and, and the um, guidance of the General Assembly of the PCA. And that board um, has oversight of all of the operations of Covenant Seminary. Um, that oversight comes uh, directly, though, through the role of the president of the institution. And then they have delegated me to lead the institution um, in all of its functions related to uh, recruitment, admissions, um, the academic mission of the institution, um, and then the, you know, the oversight of the facilities and the, all the financial aspects of the institution. So, uh, so the team here in St. Louis is, is what's executing the, um, the, the plan of the seminary which as you know, is to train servants of the triune God, right? To walk in God's grace, equip God's uh, people and minister his word. Um, and we're thrilled to get to do that all for his mission. Amen. So Tom, just, we don't have tons of time here. Obviously we spent a lot of time not talking about Covenant Seminary, which is great. Um, but so what are some of the challenges that you feel like you're going to tackle right off the bat? What are you like already just super encouraged about? Just give us a sense of your assessment uh, getting into this new space and how we can pray for Covenant Seminary and support it. Yeah, I, I think the things that make Covenant Seminary great are the things that have always made Covenant Seminary great. Our faculty, the commitment to not just um, training students theologically, but shaping them their whole persons uh, for serving in the church and ministry. Um, the pastor scholar model of our faculty is also really critical. Um, our commitment to cultural engagement um, and preparing our students to minister in the world that's coming, not the world that has already been, but the world that is coming to us and all of our communities, I'm just grateful for the staff here at Covenant. Some of the challenges I think we have um, all across theological education, the map has kind of been changed um, through, uh, uh, through the internet and degree accreditation uh, uh, changes, um, the capacity to do um, training online virtually exclusively. Um, so that's sort of decentered. The mission of seminaries, they used to be residential only, and now they have this, this, uh, this added dimension of the online uh, programs. We also see just a big shift in demographics. Uh, students don't want to go away to seminary. They want to stay home. Um, and, and, and I think that's one of the challenges we're facing in, in theological education, recognizing that 
for us to train up the next generation of ministry leaders and pastors, we need to do more than just give them information. We need to shape lives. And to shape lives, we have to get connected to them. So something like a residential experience uh, needs to happen. And and so Covenant Seminary, for our students to come to the seminary, and that's what I really want to encourage is just, hey, come to seminary. Come come serve with us. That's in St. Louis. Um, but but if, if when we have students who aren't, we need to do um, a great job of resourcing them and that wherever they are so that that spiritual formation is happening in that context. So those are, that's just, you know, one of the challenges that we're, we're dealing with. Yeah, when I, I visited Covenant, I did not attend. Um, I went to Westminster Dallas, but the, uh, the campus life was so, so much better at Covenant than anywhere else I visited. And uh, I know that that was a shaping thing for almost everybody who went there. Um, and yeah. so it's hard to, hard to capture that, you know, in, in on, with online communities. It's just, it just doesn't seem the same. And that is a big challenge. Uh, we, we are moving towards kind of final kind of questions, Tom, and uh, you've been a great guest for, with us today. Uh, my family does something at birthdays where we tell, you know, everyone at their birthday uh, things that we loved, loved about them this year, things we did with them, favorite memories, favorite qualities. But we always end with the word of advice. And we're ending our podcast this year with words of advice for the PCA. So what's your one word of advice that you would give to the PCA? Yeah, that's a great question, Justin. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to answer it. I think the thing we should most work towards in the PCA is closing the distance between each other. And, um, and by that, I mean, rediscovering the things uh, that bring us together as a denomination, not just our theological commitments, but our passions for bringing the gospel to our country and world. And and that's something we can't do online. That's something we can't do um, uh, in a digital way uh, because I think we, we just still experience more distance. And so one of the things I'm committing myself to is just uh, I, I've been in three different cities in three different weeks and headed to another one next week and then the week after. And I'm, I'm wanting to get time with pastors and ministry leaders all across our denomination um, to foster those conversations that I hope will close the distance between us and so that we can be reminded that there's more that brings us together than separates us. And I hope in that, in, in doing that, we will discover that we can trust one another. And that, that's my hope, that we will foster greater trust across our denomination so that God might use us to, um, to bring the gospel forward. It's a good word. Man, love that. Okay, now this is our actual last thing that we talk about. This season, we are introducing a quest to figure out what the actual best PCA is. And so today, our entry is the Poodle Club of America. <laughs> PCA, Poodle Club of America. Uh, if you want to Google it, it's just poodleclubofamerica.org. 
And so, guys, what do you think about the Poodle Club Club of America? I, my questions, we don't have time to go over them all, are, are they, is it interesting to you? Is it interesting to others? Would I join it? How's their logo? How's their website? I know you don't know all those because you're not looking, but I'm looking yeah. first, and I, I think the logo is awesome. It's a poodle. Uh, it's not awesome, but it's it's a, it's good. Well, it is, you it's know what one, it is. It's a little one-dimensional. Like, you know what it is. Yeah, and then the, the, the first cover of the whole website, I couldn't be better. This is what I would want to see if I if I was looking at this. So congratulations to owners Connie S. Unger and William Lee on best of breed. And uh, if you want to contact us, we'd love to hear from you. If you think you're the best PCA guy. So what do you, what do you think in general poodle? What do you think, Tom? I, I'm not, a, I'm probably not going to join the poodle club of America. <laughs> I, I'm all for their, their enthusiasm. I, I probably don't share it though. Okay. Justin. Yeah. You know, the Labradoodle kind of brand of poodle is kind of popular. Golden mm-hmm. Doodle. Uh, our do they have a subsection my, of this on their I website? Bet they, I bet they do. Well, I don't know. I mean, can they really do that? So we actually own it. Curious a here, aren't they? We have Charlie, uh, who's true. a poodle. That's true, Tom. And Charlie... Um, Charlie is a poodle? Charlie is a poodle. I, really? He and I aren't super friends. We're not enemies. But he ended up, because of all the mishmash of everything, he now lives in Ithaca with Drew, with like eight college students in a messy house. So I don't know if his life got better or worse. I'm unsure. He's got eight people wow. to take care of him. And he's probably got food all over the whole place to eat. He'd probably true. do his business and no one even notice. Uh, so... True. Yeah, I don't know what I'm, I'm not a poodle person, but I end up have had several poodles in my life. Okay, so Justin, you want to give a quick score just based on our five? So things? I'm going to say a 38 uh, on the, the score there, Doug, for the Poodle Club of America. All right, so 38 for you, Justin. I'm going to give it a 30. Oh, okay. Most of my points would come from the logo category. But I am not interested in this. I do think other people might be interested in it. So uh, uh, it's not not a great score for the old Poodle Club of America, is it? Yeah, no. Do you think it's pretty good? Less than Porsche. Yeah. All right. You know, so Tom, I got to attend your inauguration, which is the first inauguration I've ever been to, I might add. Yep. Have you been to one before of any? It was my second. Oh, who was the first? So a few a few weeks before my inauguration, the new president at Concordia Theological Seminary uh, was inaugurated, and I um, and actually he's a great a great guy, and uh, um, but I wanted to see what that was like, so I attended attended his inauguration. Which one was better? Um, I will. Ours was better. Of course. (laughs) Well, uh, so I was so impressed. I'm so thankful for, uh, Covenant Seminary. What an impactful institution in my life. I'm privileged to get to help it out whatever way that I can, but I'm so thankful that you're the new leader. So appreciate 
Mark and all his leadership. Um, and I'm so glad you're there. And I know it's going to be great. Uh, obviously, I we would hope everybody would support Covenant. You can donate to it, not just for its capital campaigns, but uh, just in general. This would be a great thing for all the churches in the PCA to put in their budgets to support our denominational seminary, which is so important, has been so impactful, does so many things over the course of its life. So we would really encourage all of our leaders. And then there are also tremendous resources on their website. You can you can sign up and get just classes. And it's it's just wonderful. The things on there are truly incredible. So everyone avail yourself to all those opportunities. Tom, we're so thankful to get to talk to you. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a real privilege. Well, it's been a privilege for us too, but it's time to go. So next time we will hear from somebody else about what's going on until then make sure to share all these things and like them all and whatever we're doing these days, TikTok it. Justin. All right, let's do this. TikTok it. And then uh, we will hear back from everybody soon. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys. See you, Tom. We oppose every false tenant. We've got the SJW, CRT, and Sidebees covered. We're battening the hatches. And getting heresy smothered Were the tiniest big tent Most could ever imagine We've an outsized opinion Of our every decision Mostly not afraid Of always reforming We've got the gospel of Jesus Preaching it on Sunday morning Within the 9.2s And the 90.7s We debate who's in and who's out And who gets to heaven I heart PCA I heart PCA, by far the PCA. I heart PCA, I heart PCA, by far the PCA is the best PCA in the A. Maybe.